Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show on Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. Hope you are having a wonderful day, afternoon, evening, wherever it is that you are. As you can see, I'm not in my usual spot today. I'm actually traveling a, a little bit right now, and I've uh, not actually used this microphone that I'm using before. I brought like a little mobile unit, which I, I realize is not exactly the same as the studio. I'm hoping it'll function for the duration of the show today. Uh, and I am, uh, the reason I'll tell you this, I, I wasn't going to mention it, except it is kind of relevant to the big story I wanted to talk about today. I'm out of the country right now. I'm in the UK. I was here for the, the Platinum Jubilee. And I realize that getting back in is absolutely no guarantee. You've been seeing the footage all over the news now, finally, of just the absolute chaos at Canadian airports. And Pearson Airport stands out as being particularly the worst for whatever reason. And let me say, when I got back from Davos a couple of weeks ago, I had flown from Zurich to Toronto, and I was just bracing myself for the horror. Because again, I'd heard about this, I'd seen the pictures, seen the videos, and for whatever reason... I arrived in Toronto at the exactly right moment. I have a Nexus card. I was able to like hustle when I got off the plane and I was through customs and in the main, you know, non-international section of the airport within a matter of minutes. But that isn't the experience other people are having. I think statistics would suggest that I had my lucky shot then. And when I come back later this week, that is absolutely not going to be the fortune that I have as well. And no one seems able or willing to solve the problem. There's a lot of finger pointing. You've got the airlines, the airport authority, the government of Canada, Transport Canada, the Canada Border Services Agency, CATSA, which is screening. I mean, you've got all these different agencies and entities. And with the exception of the airlines, they're all really different arms of government. And even the airlines, while private, are heavily regulated. So I, I think government has a fair bit of influence in what they do, as we see in the mask mandate situation. But all of that is to say, you've got all of these different entities and uh, the airlines, to their credit, have been quite good on this. At the very least, WestJet has. WestJet, whose CEO was traveling abroad and pointing out how no one needs to wear a mask on flights in Europe and who has actually come out very unequivocally and said he wants an end to the mandates that are in place in Canada. Mandates which are very much exacerbating, if not outright causing, a lot of the delays we're seeing right now. And I can walk you through, I mean, the customs process, to even get on the plane to fly to Canada, you need to use ArriveCan, which is the government's, you know, tracking app where you upload your vaccination information and all that. And then when you get to the airport, you go through customs. And then some people are still, despite the government says there, there's no testing, they're being subjected to random testing. And that's further bottlenecking and slowing things down. And more importantly, you've got uh, airplane services that have just after two years been completely overloaded because everyone's flying. Every plane is full right now because people after having two years of lockdowns and all of these other things are saying, OK, I want to travel. So the government has not yet scaled up its operation. This is not new. I mean, there used to be, I think it was like four or five or six flights from Toronto to Heathrow a day. Now there are a couple. So I have a hard time believing that the volume of passengers going through airports 
is so great now that government can't handle it. No, the issue is that they haven't been able to scale up their operations. And there's a lot of conspiracy theory going around about whether this is deliberate. Whether government is in fact trying to get people to not fly because that's ultimately what they want. I mean, whether it's for COVID reasons, climate reasons, who knows. And I, I don't know if they're that crafty. I never attribute to malice what I can attribute to incompetence. And I, I think I'm seeing a lot of the latter category here. But it is curious that they haven't decided to make this a bigger issue. I mean, for starters, the mainstream media coverage has been, up until this past week, pretty non-existent. I mean, one of the flare-ups that I think caused a lot of people to pay attention was uh, some NHL guy who I'll admit I'd never heard of. I'm not, not a, this was like the first and only sports segment I'm ever going to do on the show. And even then it's, it's more sports adjacent. Uh, but this NHL guy, I, I'm told he's not an NHL star, but I've been told by one of my colleagues, don't call him a star. He's a, an NHL guy, a, an NHL player of some kind, Ryan Whitney, went through, and, and he described like just this third world level chaos that is happening in Canadian airports that he was seeing on a domestic flight. Hey guys, Whit here. I don't even really know where to explain. So for people telling me to drive, I can't drive. They have my bags, they won't give them back. So I had Edmonton to Toronto yesterday. I landed around three. I then had Toronto to Boston at 8.30. Customs was about three hours, got through, flight canceled from Toronto to Boston. All right, at this point now I go and I see there is a 400 person line with two Air Canada workers. There's a million canceled flights, everyone's just panicking. So I waited in that line about six hours. At near the end of the line, by the way, you know how much my feet hurt? Near the end of the line, they closed it. They just said, oh, you have to go somewhere else. We had to re-enter Canada. We had to go through Canadian customs. So by the time I finally see someone from Air Canada, it's 1 a.m. I said, can I just get my bags? I had a ride to Buffalo all set up. And I had a JetBlue flight from Buffalo. I just need to get out of this country, out of this airport. This is the worst airport on earth. I'm telling you, there's no other airport like this. So they say, no, 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 you can't have your bags. You, you, your bags are already like in the middle of no man's land. You can't have your bags. So we have a 8.50 flight for you from Toronto to Boston for this morning. This is, last, this is at 1 a.m. Okay, I be here at 5 a.m., they said. So I got here at 4.55, I wanted to be five minutes early. So I wanted to be three hours and 55 minutes early. I get here, this woman says, oh, we booked you actually on a flight from here to Montreal and then Montreal to Boston, but that leaves in 50 minutes and you can't make it. They never sent me an email. They just, I, I, I started laughing. I mean, what are, you, what are you gonna do? It was either that or like cry. So now I'm on a, so now I'm on a an, an 10 a.m., but there's nobody really around the gate. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so in shock at this place. It is the biggest disgrace known to man. And I mean, that tweet got millions, millions of views because obviously he's speaking the truth. He, what he's saying is resonating with people. But I, I think it's also just so painfully obvious that, hey, there's a problem here. Why is no one talking about it? Why, and more than that, why is no one fixing it? Now, the government has given like the cursory statement of, yes, we're looking into it. We're trying to work with our partners. At one point, there was a report that a government, some level of government was asking airlines to cancel flights. And they said, uh, heck no. 
I mean, they're in the business of making money, not uh, losing money. And after the last couple of years, they're, they're done with the whole bailout thing. They need to actually get people moving. And what was interesting here, Omar El Gabra, who's the transport minister, the guy, if anyone is going to be solving this problem, it's him. He did this video where he talked about the fact that it's World Environment Day, which I didn't even know. We already have Earth Day and Earth Hour. We also have World Environment Day, apparently. And that was on, I think, Monday or Sunday. And he does this video about how we need to make our transport sector cleaner for generations to come. And that sounds nice. And I'm like, you know, maybe we just focus on the lines first. Maybe, just maybe, we focus on the air travel lines, the airport lines, the custom lines, the security lines, the screening lines, the testing lines. Maybe we focus on all of that first and then we go to, you know, wanting solar-powered airplanes hurling through the sky or, or something like that. And I, again, I mean, it's one tweet. But I also think that it, it's indicative that there is a priority issue here where this thing that's happening in this country is apparent to everyone, but the government's not interested in solving it. And, and let me just take a, an aside here and say that there are a lot of people in this country, as I've talked about relentlessly, I think more than anyone else, certainly anyone in mainstream media, people who still cannot fly, unvaccinated people who still cannot board a plane in Canada. And the vaccine mandates are absolutely despicable. I've been unequivocal about that. And, and some people who are in that boat, I've heard from who have said, yeah, you know what? The government's told me I can't fly, so I don't really care if other people have the right to fly. I, I don't really care if this whole thing is happening and it's making things unpleasant for all these people. And I, I get that. I absolutely get that. I realize if you're one of the people that the government has deemed a second-class citizen, you can't board a plane. It is the epitome of a first-world problem to be complaining about all the difficulties at airports and the difficulties with air travel and all of that. Understandably so. But I, I think it's all part of the same discussion here. Because for starters, you still have COVID-related mandates who are very significantly affecting very significantly affecting the flow of air travel and, and where people can go and how they go. And air travel, which has already been this like unpleasant thing for most people. Like it's all air travel is already fraught and has been for years, long before COVID, with all of these things that make it just horribly unpleasant. And the government has managed to somehow make that worse. Like, the Canadian government has done the unthinkable. They've actually made air travel less pleasant than it was before COVID. And I, I think there is something to this idea of, are they trying to prevent people from flying altogether? Or is it just that it's a happy accident and they don't really care? I, th this is, again, nothing connected to Canada, but Key and Bexty over the counter signal uh, twigged me to this. And there was a report I came across, which I have to share with you here. This is a report that was funded in part by the UK government. Now, it's not a UK government report. It's a report from a UK advocacy group called FIRES. And it's part of this project, this research project called Absolute Zero, which is apparently a push beyond net zero. So you hear net zero about how by 2030 or 2050 or, you know, three years ago, we needed to get our emissions down to net zero, which means we're offsetting every a ton of carbon emissions for every ton of carbon emissions we're producing. This group says net zero is not enough. We need absolute zero. So forget about the net, which lets you subtract the gross from the offsets. No, no, no. They're saying we need absolute zero. And in their report, they offer some convenient ways to do that. Well, that's helpful. You don't want them to just...
come to you with problems, you want them to come with solutions, and you look at their solution for flying. And from 2020 to 2029, so we're already a couple of years into that, but in the next seven years, they think the UK should have all its airport except for Heathrow, Glasgow, and Belfast close. So transfers would be by rail. But close all but those three airports. Now, if you're not British, you probably can't name another UK airport. So you'd think, all right, maybe it's a little bit inconvenient. But, you know, Heathrow's a big place. Glasgow, Belfast, okay, that's fine. Oh, wait for wait to see what they have planned for you. 2030 to 2049. All remaining airports close. So by 2049, they've closed every single airport in the United Kingdom, which effectively bans flying. And you're like, okay, well, what are they going to do in its stead? That, that seems a bit odd, especially since you're talking about literal islands. Well, don't worry. They have a plan for you. By 2050, absolute zero. That's the plan. So as you see there, no flying at all in 2050 to meet absolute zero. Uh, but then beyond that, beyond that, they're happy. They say electric planes may fly with synthetic fuel once there are excess non-emitting electricity supplies. So uh, it's actually great because you can you can plug in your electric plane and you get a really, 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 really long cord. And they have to get that cord long enough to go across the Atlantic. So uh, the problem with the electric planes now is that by the time you get to Newfoundland, the cord unplugs and the plane just uh, plummets into the ground and eventually winds up near the Titanic. So uh, that's the So they've got to get a really long charging cable. Uh, because that's the battery power here. So, I, I mean, look, maybe in, you know, 2475, we may have an electric plane. I know certainly it's something that people have talked about here, but all of the electricity stuff that people discuss, especially with cars, they fail to understand the environmental hazards and harms that come from mining and manufacturing batteries. And, and I'm just using their own logic against them because it, it's never enough. It's never enough. And this report is a great example of this. Net zero is not enough. We need absolute zero. Uh, we can't just have a, a net zero that plan that gets us where they say we want to go. We have to ban air travel uh, because that's the only way we're going to be able to move on as a society and, until we get electric planes. Then once electric planes come, it's a party again, and we can all queue up and wait in the lines at Pearson Airport just like before, but not a moment sooner. <laughs> So there are people, and, and I share this so that you understand that there are people out there that would be just as happy if air travel were to vanish. These are the same people that would be very happy if we were to just all stop eating meat. The same people that would be very happy if we all lived in high rises, no one had a car, we all walked to work and that was our life. And we sang Kumbaya or We Are the World or whatever, and that was that. There are people that want this. Now, are those people in our government? Well, I think we have some idealists. But I also don't think that our government wants or can handle the chaos that's going to come when people, and I mean, only vaccinated people. So these aren't even people that the government's used to having mad at it. When vaccinated people are feeling, because they're at airports, again, astonishing and disgusting that that is still how things are in this day and age. But anyway, government doesn't want riots. On its, on, on its hands and chaos from people that are just looking at this saying, well, what on earth is, is the challenge? Airlines have very limited power. I mean, they can move around their flight schedule, but again, it's not their problem. They don't want to have to lose money by reducing schedules, which have never yet made it back to pre-pandemic schedules, in part because of staffing considerations and also because look around and you're like, well, the airport can't handle this, so there's no point in us adding another flight. 
But every flight I've been on for work in the last few months has been full or virtually full. So people are moving. This is not a new trend. No one can say they were just suddenly shocked and suddenly surprised that all these people showed up at the airports. We didn't know what was happening. We, we, but, but, but it also shows that government is still in a 2020 mindset. Government still thinks it's COVID. And, and even if their ministers are going all around and Justin Trudeau's going all around, and, and in all honesty, you look at the, I get the press releases from the ministers. It's, oh, this one's going to a summit in Venezuela, and this one's going to South Korea, and this one's going to Taiwan. And, like they're going in every direction right now. And they seem to be fine with it. They seem to not be affected by this. It's just the rest of us plebs who are affected by it and they have no interest in solving the problem or they just don't have the solutions. But either way, it's not serving Canadians. And one of the people, I, I, without exaggeration, who I would love to see doing this is Duncan D, who's the former COO of Air Canada. And he's been the one talking about this on Twitter, sounding the alarm when no one else has and has continued to. And he had a, a tweet the other day, which I, I wanted to share. It was a string of tweets, which were actually quite fantastic, pointing out what government knew. And, and one of them is that Katza knew, and this was a Blacklocks reporter piece, Katza knew for months that travel volumes were going to double or triple in 2021. And they added just 7% more screeners by the end of June. So there's one thing as well where government knew, government had access to data and just didn't do anything to scale up that one part. And CATSA is the Canadian version of the TSA. So it's the security screening, which again is seeing delays. And one thing I would add that Melissa Lansman, the conservative transport critic, so she's the one that holds Omar Al-Ghabra to account, pointed out, is that there is a 25% underuse of their budget. Now, normally I'd be happy about that because governments never come in under budget, but they had the money. They, the government gave them the money and didn't actually do anything with it to solve this problem. But Duncan D also did this great Twitter thread where he just went through all of the different issues and, and how with air travel, any one delay compounds into other delays because the crew that can't meet you at the gate for one flight because the other flight's delayed and then the next one and the next one. And by the end of the day especially, and that's when a lot of these problems are happening, it's because all of these other failings have taken place leading up to that moment. This is not rocket science. This is not difficult. It just needs someone that's going to come and scale up this operation in a way that government has been the least interested party in doing. Uh, before I actually left for the UK, sat down with Duncan D, which ties in well. Here's my chat with him about this just airport chaos in Canada. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Joining me now is the former COO of Air Canada, Duncan D. Duncan, good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Andrew. So I actually got lucky. I, I came back through uh, Pearson Airport a week or so ago, and at the time that my flight arrived, there was nothing happening in the customs hall. So I was able to waltz right through, but I know other people have not had that experience as of late. And there seems to be a lot of finger pointing. I mean, you've got airlines, CATSA, CBSA, Transport Canada, like no one is taking responsibility for this. What's happening? Who's to blame here? Look, I mean, uh, first of all, um, it's great that you were lucky. Um, and uh, that's what's happening at the airports right now. It's a matter of luck. Um, so if you happen to get the uh, right person controlling your flight when you land, 
um, and uh, they just decide to put you at the gate and let you walk off the plane, you know, it's it's a matter of luck, which is uh, incredibly um, frustrating. Um, so who's in charge and what's happening? Um, on the inbound side, on the arrival side, like what you experienced, it's 100% uh, the responsibility of the Canadian Border Services Agency, CBSA. Um, but it's not really even their fault. Uh, when you look at what's happening with the job that uh, the customs officers have been asked to do, they're being asked to not only do their regular jobs, but they're also being asked to do additional work related to the pandemic, which many other countries have either streamlined or have completely dropped altogether. So you've got a situation where the government has imposed these uh, mandates on international inbound arriving travelers, but they don't have the infrastructure to handle them in any way, shape or form. And then you throw into the mix the airport authorities here. How much latitude do they have when you are dealing with all of these different stakeholders that we were just talking about to manage these things? I mean, their latitude is um, really related to the fact that, like any landlord, they're the ones that provide the uh, space, the infrastructure that um, each of these agencies, the airlines, and um, all of the other ancillary services rely upon to do their job. None of the airports in Canada, frankly, none of the airports anywhere on the planet were designed to accommodate the amount of time it's taken for the uh, CBSA to process customers. Uh, it's just, it's, a, it's an impossibility. Um, just to give you an idea, the average processing time for each traveler now arriving into Canada is four times longer than it used to be. So it used to be between 60 and 90 seconds more or less per traveler if you're if you've increased that to over five minutes for every traveler there's just not enough customs agents and not enough space to accommodate all of these people coming all at once yeah, and, and it compounds, too. Like, the, the flight that I came in on, where, as I said, I got lucky, I think, like, five minutes later, there was one of those jumbo uh, wide-body planes that landed from Frankfurt. So if, you know, my plane caused there to be a lineup, that next plane was going to add to it, and, and so on and so on. And, and that's why, by the time you, you get to the end of the day, some of these things are, are particularly bad. So I, I know that airlines are in the business of making money, so they don't want to be canceling flights. We know that demand is up. I just don't understand why no one has been able to or are willing to scale up all of these things that are, are, you know, right now threatening that demand, I'd say. Oh, it's absolutely threatening that demand. And, you know, as you said, it, it's a cascading effect. So you've got these aircraft that arrive late, they get to the gate, they can't be processed. Those aircraft operate another flight, maybe an hour, two hours later. So that flight then becomes late. And then so that goes over to, let's say, Europe. By the time it gets turned around there, even if it arrived there not as late as it was, it's, it, it, it doesn't get back to uh, Toronto in time to do its next flight. So it just keeps on going on and on and on. In a normal um, situation, like a thunderstorm or an ice storm or whatever, those are singular one-day events. This has been going on in Canada for almost two months now. Like we're nearing two months when the, the government hasn't been able to process this. So it's, a, it's it, in the airline sector, it's called demand destruction. This is demand destruction. This is your giant billboard showing the world that you shouldn't travel to Canada because Canada can't handle the crowds. 
Yeah, and, and I think that's the big problem here is that just looking at mask mandates alone, and I know mask mandates are, are not necessarily slowing things down, but I think they're a reminder of other restrictions that are in place. You know, if you're flying to uh, Canada from somewhere else in the world that doesn't have a mask mandate, as I understand, your flight is mask-free. But if you get on an Air Canada flight or a WestJet flight, doesn't matter where, you're still bound by that Transport Canada thing. So there is this, this increasing embarrassment, I think, that Canada is still living in this 2020 world when everyone else ha has moved beyond it. I, I think that, you know, when the UK uh, started, I think they were the first um, uh, country, peer country, that dropped the mask mandate. Um, the EU followed suit. Uh, the US courts ruled that they couldn't do it anymore. Canada really yeah. is the last, the last man standing. And when, you know, when I talk about uh, earlier about these billboards that basically don't come to Canada, this is just another thing that um, irritates maybe not all people, but some people. And you layer on top of that, the fact that the Canadian government has decided, oh, we're going to impose these mandates, but at the same time, they can't handle them. You know, like the, the, it's, it, it's, it's silly on, on one hand for them to have these outdated mandates. It's even sillier on the other hand, that they don't have the capacity to manage the mandates that they've decided to impose. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. It's like, if, if this is so important, so critical to public health and public welfare in Canada, then come up with a plan to accommodate it, because you see all of these different stages in it. I mean, I remember for a lo the longest time, even if you got through the customs hall, you'd then have this other delay in going through the mandatory on-arrival testing, and now they've made that a little bit easier, so it, it's just a, a random selection, but even then, that slows things down as well, and it's a, a rarity in the world. Like, when I got to Switzerland a couple of weeks ago no one checked anything i got off the plane i went through passport control which took all of you know 15 seconds and then then on i went so this week duncan i mean the ceo of westjet uh, took a picture of himself on a european flight without a mask and tweeted out about how you know it was you know just mask free on european flights and and he's also come out against the vaccine mandates that he says are, are harming the travel industry in, in canada how much clout do airlines have in canada when it comes to the regulatory environment or do they just basically have to go along with whatever the government says well look they they don't have the clout to simply ignore the regulation um the they're subject to significant fines and penalties if they simply say we're not going to um do what the government's asking us to do they do have a lot of lobbying clout in the sense that they, they they're huge employers um there are over a hundred thousand people directly employed um, with the airlines and the airports in Canada. Uh, you've got all sorts of businesses that rely on airlines, whether it's the hotel industry or others, that rely on airlines bringing in customers to keep their businesses alive. So from, a, from the perspective of influence, they've got a lot of that, but nothing seems to be moving the dial with the government. You can't make any health um, and scientific argument to them. You can't make any economic argument to them. You can't really do anything to convince them that what they're doing is bonkers. And you've got this um, situation now where they've got these mandates where fewer and fewer, even Canadian uh, entities, governments are, are following them. So provincial governments have done away with pretty much every mandate now. I mean, provincial government employees can work uh, without vaccinations, I believe in pretty much every province. Um, and then you've got the big five banks that just announced earlier this week that they're no longer going to be enforcing 
their own um, mass, uh, sorry, vaccine mandate um, starting sometime later in June. So it, it's they're, they're, they are the last man standing on on uh, on the mask, uh, a mask mandate, and on the vaccine mandate. And it just seems to be out of spite or out of politics that they've decided this is what they want to do. Yeah, and I think the airlines have been generally pretty cautious at wading into this. And and I know that some of the travel industry associations have been a little bit more forceful with, with wanting an end to these things. But I would assume, and perhaps I'm overly idealistic here, that if you had WestJet and Air Canada, which, I mean, including their, their subsidiaries, they're pretty much the, the, well, not pretty much, they are the vast majority of the, the airline sector in Canada, both coming out and saying, you know, we want an end to the vaccine mandate, an end to the mask mandate, an end to, you know, the other things. Things that are harming them. I don't see how the government doesn't fold. But at the same time, I also think that it's a government that has been particularly brazen at ignoring common sense and ignoring public sentiment on this file. So I, I might be overly optimistic in that regard. I, I think you are being overly optimistic, Andrew. I mean, the big five banks, the big five banks, like these are, you know, um, the, 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 the guys, and they're mostly men, I guess. So the, the folks that run the the, the banking system in Canada have all federally regulated. So they, it's not like they can say, well, we're we're listening to the provincial government of, of whatever province. Um, you know, these guys have come out and said, no, we're not uh, going to abide by a vaccine mandate anymore. Um, I think the airlines are making their um, representations probably largely privately. Um, I know for a fact that a few meetings have been held, but the federal government just seems completely oblivious to the tremendous damage this is doing not just to the airlines but the tourism sector yeah and that's the whole thing because right now you've got the tourism sector that's not wanting a bailout they don't want government to give the money they just want people to be able to go there they want people to be able to travel and go to hotels and and right now if you're a canadian that has some money burning a hole in your pocket and you want to travel it's a heck of a lot more enticing to take that money abroad than within your own country right now and if you are someone in another country canada as you mentioned is not looking the most desirable right now and look, the, the stake in the heart to an airline guy like me is the fact that, um, you know, a Canadian can drive across the border without even having, you know, they have to be vaccinated, but they, they, they don't need um, any testing, drive across the border and catch an American airline to go anywhere they want without having the hassle of a long security line. And when they return, uh, the hassle of a long customs line. And, you know, what, what's happening is um, in Canada, whether or not um, Canadians realize this, the only time that the tourism sector really makes money in the entire country um, is during the summer. Uh, you know, international tourists don't come to most of the country um, any other time of year. There's maybe the, the, the ski destinations that make money um, uh, during the ski season. But outside of that, it's a very, very small window where you've got the um, airlines, the hotel sector, the tourism operators that make money, and that's that's now. Um, and the government has just, you know, from a timing perspective, made it nearly impossible for them to promote themselves and to to give themselves a chance for the first time in probably three years to make some money. Yeah, very well said. Absolutely shameful. Thanks so much for your continued advocacy on this. Duncan D, former COO of Air Canada, but you can follow him on, on Twitter at Duncan D, and I would encourage you to do that. Duncan, thanks very much for your time today. Thanks, Andrew. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show.
That was Duncan D, former COO of Air Canada. And again, one of the only people talking about this when no one else seems to be in government paying attention. And even now, they're not offering anything in the way of solutions. And, and I would go back to what I said earlier. If you're one of these people that's been banned by the government from flying, I understand if you don't care. But I think this is all part of the same discussion. This is all part of the same thing. And again, one thing I would add here, I mean, I, I said where I was, I'm, I'm in the UK. I have to take a roundabout way home. I'm going to uh, Dublin first to fly from Dublin to Toronto. And I'm flying Aer Lingus, which is a, an Irish, the Irish flag carrier airline. And the reason I tell you this is because if you look at Aer Lingus's website, I was wondering, ooh, do I get to like fly without a mask? I was really excited about that when I realized this was the flight. I'm like, do I get to fly without a mask? And I went on the Aer Lingus website and they have their rules. They're mask free, but it depends on where they're going. And if you look at their website, they're like, oh yeah, if you're flying from the UK to Ireland, you don't need to wear a mask. If you're flying to these places in Europe, you don't need to wear a mask. And then for international, it's if you're flying to Canada, you need a mask. And that's because of Transport Canada. That's because of the Canadian government's unwillingness to budge from this, this approach that it's taking that is just punitive. They're just trying to make it unpleasant. They can't point to one iota of science, one iota of data supporting anything they've done, and we all have to live with the consequences in perpetuity. It's shameful. It's nonsensical. And it's, I mean, this just goes beyond left and right. This is just plain incompetence. We've got to end things there. My thanks to you all. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you, God bless, and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.